1: There's a level of reality where everything
0: dissolves into an ocean of energy. We empower our experience by insisting on our authenticity.
1: That's very profound. Very. Expanding reality.
0: Welcome to Expanding Reality Podcast. I am your host, Brandon Thomas. On this episode, I got a chance to sit down with Brent Rains. He has written the book, John Keel, The Man, The Myths, and The Ongoing Mysteries. Now, uh, John Keel, of course, was into the interconnectivity of high strangeness. He wrote, of course, The Mothman Prophecies, many, many books. Uh, And our buddy here, Brent, uh, was able to correspond and had him as a mentor, uh, which is incredibly cool. Now, like Keel... mr rains is also involved in the idea of high strangeness being interconnected we have a fantastic conversation guys this is one for the books Uh, you guys just enjoy so without any further ado brent rains okay guys very very excited to have the amazing brent rains on the show today how are you my friend
1: i'm doing fine brandon appreciate
0: it well like i said it is an honor to meet you sir uh your reputation is incredible it's very hard to meet somebody and talk to several different seemingly disconnected people who all know you who every single person has nothing but wonderful things to say about you how smart you are how kind and wonderful you are so uh how do you cultivate a reputation like that straight out the gate let's just find that out
1: Oh, okay well I'll uh the, the, I I've let them know that the checks will be in the mail and
0: uh <laughs> See this is part of your job this is part yes. right here no,
1: I I just you know I just do the best I can and try to uh you know be open about my research and try to network with others and uh build that reputation of being someone you know other people can count on and uh and not uh you Know, get all blown up about you know, my opinion is right and nobody else's counts. You know, thank you. Uh,
0: yeah,
1: uh, this is supposed to be about open and honest research and investigations and looking for answers. Um, when you think you got the answer, that's probably when you better back up and re examine your facts, you know,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes,
1: because this is this is a very complex uh phenomenon and it's uh, it's got so many different uh, mixed elements in it and uh you know in the beginning i read uh i was 14 years old just read flying sauces serious business by frank edwards and i thought uh i, I know the answer i know the answer it's it's probably extraterrestrial if it's anything nuts and bolts and and um then after a couple of years uh reading you know writings of other authors like john keel and brad steiger and, and jacques billy the french scientist uh, i realized okay there's other alternative possibilities and and uh, so i got to open up a, a wider range of uh, exploration here and and there's a lot of high strange crossover phenomena that occurs and you know to experiences and and uh ufology in general has has had to uh re-examine their their motives over the years i mean you know like the repeater phenomena was considered the kiss of death by the Air Force and Dr. J. Allen Hynek and NICAP, you know, the uh, National Investigations Committee, one of the aerial phenomena, one of the major organizations uh, that we had, civilian, civilian organizations uh, that would start up back in 56. And, um, you know, if you had uh, seen more than one UFO, they were considered, well, you probably, someone that's, uh, that's, UFO should be a once in a lifetime event Um, That should not be something that you, uh, you know, have a series of experiences. And so they were kind of shoved off to the side and and, uh, discredited, you know, um, because they thought, well, they're probably seeing lightning bugs or, or satellites or, you know, misidentifying natural phenomena. And uh, it turns out, you know, thanks to various researchers uh, over the years, like John Keel and, and Bally and everyone. And, and then, of course, um, we had uh, Bud Hopkins investigating the abduction phenomena and coming up with what Keel had really discovered in his own investigations years earlier, but uh, had been pretty much ignored uh, uh, Hopkins had a gentler version. You know, he didn't get necessarily into some of the uh, high strange areas that keeled did, so he became a little more accepted in the field of ufology. And uh, so, anyway, um, I went through what a lot of people go through when they first enter the field, and that's uh, tunnel vision. Focus, you know, where they're just looking for one thing and, and you can end up being uh, where that's the only thing you look for. And, and uh, so thanks to those writers who um, kind of caught my attention. I was still young enough to uh, work through things, not, uh, you know, I had a, a young mind <laughs> and could could be a little open minded. I'm still trying to I still struggle with things. It's hard to wrap your mind around some of this stuff. But um,
0: I think there's some insight and wisdom that comes with age, though, man. You've had the time to look at the phenomena, and you've had the time to look at it through multiple vantage points. And I think the fact that you were so influenced by Steiger, by Valet, uh, especially Keel, and we'll talk about that in a minute, uh, it it says to the the point of that you got beyond the nuts and bolts pretty early on. I mean, you you were considered a ufologist by the age of 14, and by 17 you were communicating with Keel. So it's interesting to me how you hit on. You know, like twelve levels ahead of where most people start, and and th- there's people I still talk to that have been looking at the phenomena for decades, and they still are hardline nuts and bolts. It's coming from this specific star system. They may have changed their minds on the star system, but that's <laughs> where they, you know, have planted their flag, and that's fine. Uh, it's I think like you, I I do tend to think that it definitely goes beyond it, especially with all the ancillary high strangeness phenomena associated with it also something I want to get to here in a minute. but um, So you and I met through uh, me getting a hold of uh, Barbara and Lynn, um, actually getting a hold of me, and they wrote the book Convergence. Uh, I read your your section in there on it and then contacted you immediately. I was like, I've got to talk to this guy. And again, it's just like with them, both of them, with Bob Davis, with everybody that I've talked to, love you. So like I said, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. This has been a special one for me. So uh, your book, though, um, John Keel, The Man, The Myths, and The ongoing mysteries is awesome. You sent me a copy of it and it is very well written. The things that you cover in there are incredible. It's the scope, the high strangeness scope, which is what I'm really excited to talk to you about. So how did you get involved with Barbara and Lynn specifically?
1: Okay. Well, a few years ago, um, I guess about 2016, I was doing an interview, um, because I have my online monthly magazine, Alternate Perceptions, and, you know, it comes out once a month on the first of each month. And I do one or two interviews uh, with fellow researchers, experiencers, uh, uh, you know, for each issue. And I did an interview with Ray Hernandez. And, and of course, I was already interested in the, the whole UFO contact experiencer phenomenon. And... Uh, Anyway, I had read about him, so I arranged an interview, and uh, he was telling about his organization, which was doing a extensive survey of, of experiencers, and I looked at the survey. It had hundreds of questions, and uh, my survey instrument was much briefer, you know, but I had all the various um, uh, high, strange crossover type questions, but his was far more extensive and he had all these PhD people and such working on it. So, uh, anyway, he invited me to attend one of his zoom meetings and, uh, I did. And then he invited me another one. And pretty soon I knew I was, uh, going to be working with them instead of being a lone wolf, like I had been, you know, pretty much. So, um, and, and that's how I met uh, Barbara Lynn and, and Bob and, and some others, you know, that worked in the organization. And of course, each time I made a connection, I'd, uh, I'd pull them in and interview them in my magazine as you're doing with me right now.
0: Yeah. 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 (laughs) I read about you, contacted you and here we are. Yes.
1: Networking is wonderful stuff. It's so cool.
0: And to the, to the Soul Tribe element of it, um, Alternate Perceptions was a name that I shopped for this show. That was one that I – those specific two-word combination was uh, one that I wrote down for this show before I settled on exp- – not settled, before Expanding Reality was obviously the pick. So uh, that's pretty cool. We we kind of coalesce in that way. I would have found your publication, though, and probably just gone with something else after that. But um, – so, the work that you do is incredible, man. Like i said, you're you're so thorough. The research that you do uh, is fantastic. So, tell me how your book came about.
1: well, you know i I didn't intend initially to write about a book about Keel, but it it just dawned on me uh, a few years back that uh, I was so heavily influenced. I would write one. I was exp- actually intending to just write a, a a brief one and and I contacted a uh, person who published books and uh and they wanted it bigger they wanted it bigger so i thought well instead of just being a bio i'm going to also introduce interview other people who knew keel and use some of my own case evidence and uh expand it to the ongoing mysteries not just what keel reported but show it that what he reported is still out there and we need to uh further look into it research and investigate it and so um I presented it to this person, and then they told me, well, they, they weren't doing that now. So then I presented it to Rosemary Guiley, who uh, did a very thorough editing job. And in fact, she encouraged me to, uh, she knew Keel and she contributed a forward. And she also, I interviewed her about Keel and she suggested some other people that I interviewed, like Michael Grosso. And uh, I also found uh, found out about a, one of his. Uh, a uh, literary agents, uh, Sandra Martin, who uh, used to live in New York City, and and she and Keel used to get together regularly for lunch on Thursdays. He would, uh, they would go down the street to a, a, a little restaurant, on the first floor of a, an old hotel, where a bunch of magicians would gather because Keel was a uh, a big fan of uh, magic. In fact, he almost. Uh, went into the field of being a stage magician instead of becoming a writer, but he he got to writing for a local paper, uh, doing a column back when he was a young teenager. Uh, might have started when he was about twelve. Uh, called "Scraping the Keel," you know, <laughs> and and the uh, the editor of this paper uh, he liked uh, Keel's writings so well that he paid him like two dollars uh, a month for you know back then I, that was probably pretty good pay <laughs> probably. And, uh, and then he decided when he was 17 with 75 cents in his pocket, he hitchhiked his way to New York city and uh, got a room, um, I think in near times square and uh, started writing and writing for magazines, writing for uh, radio stations, you know, and things. And, and, just continued on, writing, writing, writing. Yeah,
0: and then God, man, the books that that dude has put out. So, um, <clears throat> for my audience that doesn't know John Keel very well, do you mind just summing him up um, just a little bit for everybody out here, and then we'll move on?
1: Okay, well, he was a, a freelance journalist, and uh, he, you know, had an interest in in many areas. Um, it's kind of hard to to sum the guy up because of so many moving parts you know
0: that's why i was but, gonna have you do
1: it <laughs> <laughs> but he he thought that move, you know going to the big apple new york city that that was where you know there were a lot of uh, publishing houses and editors and such and he you know that was the best place to be he he didn't want to stay where he was uh uh being raised uh, in upstate new york where there was you know just the um uh his family wanted him to be you know, join the farm, you know, and and, and uh, help with the cattle and then uh, uh, farming activities. And he wanted to be a writer. So uh, he he did that and uh, he got pretty successful at it. And then in uh, during the Korean War, uh, I think it was um, 1951. He he was born in 1930, by the way. In 1951, he got uh, drafted and they sent him to Frankfurt, Germany, where they had uh, this uh, broadcasting, Armed Forces Radio broadcasting station, and they put him uh, to work there. And he did a uh, a regular program about uh, uh, travel in, in Europe and such. And he would uh, he actually did a uh, various programs that, uh, that showed his his interest in like uh, going to. Uh, egypt and spending the night in in the, the the great pyramid there um and uh doing a live broadcast i think you know lights out <laughs> here i am and also he had uh, uh frankenstein's castle over in germany um he had a uh, he set it up where this guy went out with a microphone and was giving a live report of being outside the castle one night, unbeknownst to him, uh, as he's describing the details of, of the castle and such and the history, uh, uh, someone snuck up on him to scare him, you know, live. <laughs> and anyway, um, he, this is where he got interested in, uh, going to different countries uh for a while he was after he got out of the service in 1954 he was a um, a correspondent radio correspondent in uh various uh countries and uh, germany and paris and, and and uh barcelona and and uh then in 1954 he trekked off for several months across the uh the countryside there into going through India uh, and Pakistan, ending up in Singapore. And he wrote a series of articles and then he later turned them into a book called "Jadoo: Mysteries of the Orient, uh, which, you know, I didn't even realize till I was reading his, you know, later after reading his uh, first UFO books that he had written one, a book back in 1957, where he was actually very skeptical of the occult and and uh, various mysteries, you know. And he he uh, he went over and would find out how they did these tricks, you know, some of these um, uh, performers that would. Um, do these things for the tourists, you know, saying, I have the great power. I can, I can put a blindfold on and I can drive this bicycle through the streets. <laughs> yeah. And uh, anyway, he learned a lot of their tricks, but in the process, he also um, came away realizing that, Hey, there are some things that uh, can't be explained. Um, he was curious about the Yeti because he had, uh, he was traveling through um, india and there was uh, footprints and he'd heard this call that the local native said was the yeti uh, version of bigfoot and and i uh, thought at one point he might have seen one on the other side of the lake uh, the locals said oh that's that's the yeti and but he couldn't be absolutely sure because he said it could have been a bear you know but uh, uh the belief was strong and he would come into a village right after uh one had been spotted he um uh, he actually met a uh A a priest that he, you know, um, had been told was um, this Lama was very, very holy, very psychic. And he had been looking for this guy. And then one guy, one day he's uh, hiking and suddenly this guy comes up to him and uh, introduces himself to him. And it's the guy that Keel had been looking for unsuccessfully and keels you know said well i've I've heard a lot about you and uh can you give me a demonstration and says this old man <clears throat> has a walking stick and he just sort of gets up on the walking step and just kind of like he's hovering there you know during their long conversation he said he couldn't imagine how strenuous that should have been you know yeah and uh meanwhile he um, asked him how you you know can you demonstrate your psychic powers? And the guy said, "Yeah, I'll think of something." And and uh, so he says, "Okay, I'm thinking of something." He said, "Oh, come on, you can do better than that old pair of boots you were. And you
0: know, <laughs> that is so cool.
1: <laughs> and so then you know, he says, um, "Try something else." So he tried something else, and again he was correct. You know, and again I think he admonished him, saying, "Hey, you know." you can do better than that. And uh, so anyway, finally, Keel asked him, can you teach me how to do this? And he'd say, Oh, this takes years, but he can say, I, I can give you a kind of an overview. You kind of visualize or imagine you're going down this long path. And as you're going down this path, various things will appear to you and you pay attention to the things that appear to you, you know? And uh, one time he was in a, a temple and this monk was going to uh he was i think sitting in front of a a buddhist statue and he was going to call in the spirits and keel is sitting there and thinking okay and he said all of a sudden this wooden little three-legged uh stool comes out of a dark corner and it circles him and keel bends over and he moves his hands around it looking for a string you know some explanation and uh, he said, meanwhile, there was a some kind of a noise on the roof, and there was a, a wind blow out a candle you know and then um, the stool scurried back to another corner after which he you know the session was over, and he went over and examined the stool and he could find no explanation for you know uh, how that was done and keel by this time was you know pretty good at uh that magic. He was, when he would go different places, he would uh, often entertain the locals and kids, you know, by doing cod tricks and such and uh, making a key disappear or whatever, you know? And uh, so anyway, um, he years later, he moved back to New York city after his overseas excursions and he, um, he during the 1966 wave of ufo activity that occurred he uh just uh, thought he'd like to look in that uh into that because when he was in egypt uh he saw a disc-shaped domed object in 1954 And um, he knew they were real. He visited the Pentagon. He was going to write a big article for Playboy, but Dr. Heineck beat him out of it. But, but, Mm -hmm. and of course, Dr. Heineck was, you know, the former Air Force consultant, Project Blue Book. And so anyway, um, but he had about a two-hour interview with this um, um, Project Blue Book representative, and the guy told him, "Mr. Keel, there's nothing to this uh, UFO stuff. It's just a waste of your time." And Keel says, "No, I saw one of these things myself. So, uh, you know, you can't tell me that." And um, plus, Timothy Beckley uh, did an interview, I think around 1984, with Keel, uh, where you can actually see way back in his early early background that he actually was aware of UFO. And and uh, paranormal, as we call them today, events. Um, he, you know, his grandparents' farmhouse. He uh, spent a lot of time there, and there was a poltergeist activity uh, when he was a young young man there. And, and there was a rapping on the wall, and he'd try to rap back to try to, you know, work out some kind of a message system to communicate. Uh, some of the farmers in the area reported a gorilla. Uh, scaring people running across the road there when he was about age 10. And it says when he was age seven, uh, he was riding through the countryside with his uh, mother and his uh, stepfather at that point. And uh, they thought there was a barn on a hilltop that was on fire. And uh, as it rose, it started rising up higher, this bright light, and it turned out to be a round sphere. And it hovered there a while, and then it just took off and, and disappeared. And he said that, uh, that experience was, you know, burned into his brain cells. Yeah. <laughs> and so when this wave of sightings happened in 1966, he had just sold a book and sailed about, sold about 800,000 copies. And he had some money in his pocket. So he decided he was going to get into investigating UFOs. And like me and a lot of others at the, at the beginning, he thought it's ET, you know, and after about a year of, uh, looking into it and traveling around and talking with a lot of people, he decided it was a little more complex. And I think that, uh, his experience earlier with, you know, the UFO and the paranormal stuff, and even, uh, the gorilla, <laughs> which was, <laughs> you know, uh, helped, helped to clue him in, you know, and across his experiences over in the, uh, over in
0: the East. Yeah, nothing like a giant gorilla to shake your perceptions a little bit. Now, um, I I, want to get into why uh, Kiel felt the way that he did and and the conclusion that you've come to and the one that I'm a little bit on board with as well. Um, But I want to talk about how you and Kiel uh, used to correspond. So what I like about your early interaction was you started to... Reach out and you wanted to know about uFOs and he wrote you back, encouraging you to instead familiarize yourself with the medical and psychiatric studies instead before you started uFOs so was that significant?
1: yeah, that was uh he said to kind of study the medical psychiatric studies of uh, uh, you know religious visionaries and such, and uh, also uh, parapsychological literature um, and Cause he, he felt that it was far, far more complex. And and in fact, he, you know, in in his writings, as well as Valet uh, mentioned about uh, like Fatima Portugal, you know, that that event there uh, the dance of the sun back in 1917 was really had many elements classic uh, of a classic UFO encounter. And there was a series of interactions uh, with these young children. And uh, so he became interested in, in a lot of the religious, uh, phenomena and their possible associations with, uh, the modern UFO contact experience. And, uh, in fact, I wrote a chapter, uh, for, you know, the free organization beyond UFOs and my chapter, uh, chapter 13, my lucky number, you know, uh, was, was on, uh, you know, a lot of the Marian apparitions and how they're the similarity to, you know, the UFO contact experience and such. So, um, it was very good advice. And of course the, uh, I never got into being a psychologist, or psychiatrist myself, but I've always networked with people, you know, um, one of my early correspondents, uh, really from about 1973 until he passed in 2010 was, uh, Dr. Berthold Schwartz, who was a, uh, psychiatrist, um, originally from Montclair, New Jersey, eventually retired to Vero beach, Florida, but, uh, I met him twice. And, uh, we corresponded extensively. And when I was out doing my own field work and such, I would write to him about my own cases to get his own thoughts on them, you know? And, uh, I even called him up, uh, one time we had a case in Maine of two young men who, um, described they felt they'd had a UFO, uh, encounter with missing time. And, uh, so I, called him up on the phone. He actually drove up from New Jersey to Maine, where I was living at the time, to uh, look into the case and wrote it up for, wrote it up for uh, Flying Saucer Review over in England, which was a pretty prestigious magazine that carried reports from all over the world. Um, many people who were investigators would would submit their uh, their findings on different cases to that, that magazine. And then later he took that and my own article, uh, there was an flying sauce review to put into his book, uh, a two volume book entitled uh, UFO dynamics, which uh, Keel said was one of um, he wrote in fate magazine was one of uh, the best of uh, books out there. And then he'd complained that it was ignored by the UFO buffery. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, uh, Dr. Swartz actually, was brought into the field by John Keel uh, because in 1968, Dr. Swartz, who whose interest was really in parapsychology, he wrote a uh, an article from a medical journal, and uh, it was on four cases that he had come across of people claiming to have seen UFOs. And in one case, afterwards, there was poltergeist activity with one of the the witnesses, and uh, it was. It made uh Paul Harvey's uh broadcast. And so Keel picked up on it and contacted Dr. Swartz. And Dr. Swartz was intending this to be his swan song, you know, after writing that one article about UFOs, you know, he was gonna go back to psychiatry and parapsychology. And Keel wrote him and, and essentially told him that there's plenty for you to do in the UFO field and don't worry, you'll still have parapsychology things to look at, you know. <laughs> and so uh they became quite well acquainted. And uh, well, I never met uh, Keel in person. You know, I, I did meet Doctor Swartz in person, and uh, you know, uh, but I, I gained a lot from, you know, both of their knowledge and insight into this. I feel.
0: There's a lot of serendipity that's wrapped up into the, your story and how you got started in this. So there's, there's a lot of like synchronicities, as he would say, just kind of like like he told you, you know, just pick up or like that guru told Kiel, just pick up on things along the way. I think the universe does that for you. The universe will drop little hints, you know, depending on what you think our reality is. You know, there's these little acorns along the way that allow you to kind of shift the direction of your life as long as you're willing to pay attention to them. And then, of course, confidence is just a series of successes. After you've gotten a few successes following those trails and them leading you to the next, you know, and then to the next, then then it just becomes this the way that the world communicates with you. It's an interesting phenomena in itself synchronicities by themselves so the the fact that you were even corresponding with keel that dr schwartz uh took you on and you guys just you you hit it off right away and then keel even gave you some pointers he said okay look we, we've already covered this part of it just start here and then move on from there and so you're able to almost you know how ancient structures are built on the uh, you know like ballback and stuff how they're built on top of old structures from the previous uh, what do you call them? Civilization. Then you were able to kind of do that with your with your knowledge and your studies in UFOs as well, and the into the phenomena. Because yes, it is not just about UFOs. So um, one of the interesting things that I find with Keel, especially valet yourself, uh, is the interconnected nature of high strangeness and how it's all connected. The, this is the part Heineck got to there at the end as well with Sufos. Uh, you you find that a lot of people, if they're gonna look at the UFO phenomena as a whole, th- this is the inevitable conclusion, right? That there, number one, is no conclusion, but number two, it's not just one thing. It's, it's all associated together. It's all tied in. So with that, um, there's self-imposed boundary lines that you talk about uh, with the cryptozoologists, uh, parapsychologists, the ghost hunters, ufologists even as well. What, what do you think needs to happen next for all of us to kind of come together? Because just like you point out in your book, cryptozoologists want to just look at chupacabras and stuff they they don't want to look at how maybe a paranormal phenomena is associated with a, a beast or a ghost mm-hmm. or an entity and then how that also correlates to um you know some poltergeist activity and perhaps even a ufo sighting or an entity exciting um sighting as well so how what do you, how do you think if we combine these elements do you do you just get all these guys in a room? You know, it's kind of like a cryptozoologist, a parapsychologist, and a ghost hunter all went, walked into a bar. I mean, is it is that how this starts? Is some kind of weird, you know, bad joke? You know,
1: well, I think it's um, they, you know, because not everybody's going to comply with that that approach. But uh, I think they they need to consider it, maybe try it, to uh, compare notes with people outside of their own little niche there. And and consider the, you know, the implications, I think, seems like more and more people are kind of taking that initiative here of, of late. I recently discovered there's even a uh, para-anthropology uh, newsletter out there. That's um, cool. And, yeah. And, and um, just, you know, just to have these... Um, multidisciplinary kind of exchanges uh compare notes and kind of be you know, like an anthropologist or a uh, social scientist a um, mythologist a folklorist and and you know try to go past some of the boundaries that we've imposed in the past and uh look at you know because like you you pointed out the um and I've seen this happen, you know, that uh, someone will be investigating a UFO case and uh, they say, oh, and I saw a Bigfoot. Well, that that's not my field. You know, that's yes. somebody somebody else's, you know. And and if if every, you know, I was um, Robert, uh, Albert Rosales down in Miami, Florida, has collected thousands and thousands, cataloged a lot of, of, of cases from all over the world. And he's written quite a number of books now that uh, from different time periods and i told him i said you know this is fascinating all these stories of landed ufos and and the beings get out and all this but you know with all those stories we're we're looking at the the uh main story that caught somebody's attention maybe was published in a newspaper or the investigators but how many times has anybody actually followed up on it and asked them hey you know what other unusual experiences not UFO, but just unusual experiences and and got some history on these people and maybe followed them, uh, you know, for a number of years to see if, you know, anything else happens to them, followed up on their their experience. Um, I know that uh, the reason I ended up. Uh, being in touch with Dr. Swartz was because there was a, a woman in Florida that I had met, and she was a fellow researcher and an experiencer who had had a, uh, a close encounter followed by poltergeist activity and eventually entities appearing in her home. And uh, she had written to John Keel and Dr. Swartz. and uh, And so she was the one who actually put me in touch with Dr. Swartz. It was, you know, a fellow researcher and experiencer. And at the time I met her, um, it was I was in the Navy. My ship was homeported, destroyer escort at uh, Mayport, Florida, and uh, her husband was actually in the Navy and she lived right on base. I remembered before I went into the service that I had corresponded with someone uh in that area but i had no idea that it was she had a po box in another city but actually she she was right there on the base i was so you know talk about serendipity or synchronicity i you know i'm thinking i'm in the navy i'm not going to have any any ufo uh field work to do whatever i'm committed to this and uh i'm and actually the redirections that happen in my life often put me in places that uh i probably never would have arrived at and were very deeply meaningful you know and uh, so while I was there, the flap of 1973 erupted. I even took a plane out to uh, New Orleans and got with a researcher out there that Ramona, the lady in Mayport, uh, had uh, told me about, a uh, Milton Scott. And he drove me over to uh, Pascagoula, and I met Hickson and Parker and, and visited the site where they said the abduction occurred just 10 days after. You know, it allegedly happened, you know, Damn. and and uh, while we were investigating a sighting of a woman who had seen uh, two disc-shaped objects two nights in a row near a Jacksonville uh, Naval Air Station just down the road from, the, from there, um, Ramona thought to ask, you know, I'm still a little wet behind the ears, and she says, uh, you know, ma'am, have you... Uh, I'm paraphrasing, uh, had any other unusual experiences? And she says, no, no. And then it sunk in a while. And she said, well, you know, there was a time, oh, it really scared me. Uh, a friend had died, and then suddenly his voice was on the phone and saying he's coming to the house. And I'm, I start crying. And I say, no, 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 don't come. Don't come to that. You know, And said it sounded just like him. And then telling about being in a seance, and she saw this apparition and then there was another story and it was one right after the other and so that that really made me realize um you know that uh you need to ask not just about the ufo but to open people up about other experiences because ramona knew this because she was an experiencer herself uh since childhood she had uh, had experiences of spirits and such and then this ufo encounter in 1967 that was just another Anomalous rung on the ladder, you know, and uh, and then she was um, able to, thanks to Keel, I uh, kind of put together the whole UFO um, Poltergeist thing that happened afterwards, and she wrote to him really to I think to get some. Uh, she was concerned because she was having these experiences with with balls of light and entities coming into her room, always around three o'clock in the morning. And then her son would come into her room. She hadn't said she said anything to her son. And then suddenly he was describing that there were these dark figures and they were they were threatening him, you know, and he was scared. So he wanted to come and sleep in her her bed that night. You know, he was a young teenager. And uh, so um, anyway, uh, that's how. You know, and it was just it's just so curious uh, how how all these things, like I say, start because you you think, oh, gosh, I'm way down here and I'm in the Navy and I'm way, way away from what I really want to do. And of course, as I I told you, that that would have been in uh, 73 and 74. And it was in uh, uh, 1975 when I got out of the Navy. I was still in uh, out of active duty. I was. I was still going to reserve meetings, but I could travel around the country and interview people. And I went from Maine to Florida, spent most of the summer uh, on on the road in, in 75 and, you know, um, and met a lot of people in different different states, uh, Indiana, Ohio, uh, Pennsylvania and, and Tennessee and uh, Florida and uh, then back to Maine eventually. But of course, as it ended up, I I. Uh, ended up back here in Tennessee. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. 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 I, I, um, one of the people that I was in contact with a young lady, uh, was, uh, had seen a UFO and also there was a local, um, columnist for a paper who was carrying UFO stories. So I came down here and met him. And anyway, one thing led to another and yep. Got married in late 77 and, uh, man, it's people I've met down here that, uh, the stories are incredible. I, you know, if, if it hadn't been for, when I thought I was going the wrong way, it turned out to be the right way. It reminded me, reminded me of, uh, an author who's passed away and a lot of people don't remember him now. He was a, a psychic researcher named Harold Sherman. And, uh, he, uh, Wrote a lot of books, which I think I got about seven on a bookshelf from the next room. Uh, he had what he called ESP Research Associates Organization out of Little Rock, Arkansas. And he wrote books on, uh, you know, uh, psychic phenomena, ESP abilities. He gave instructions on how to do out-of-the-body experience. He had one, one or two himself. And he, carried, he you know, uh, wrote about a lot of people's experiences like that and a lot of his own experiences, Uh, as, you know, Barbara and Lynn did with their Convergence. And one of the things he'd say was, you know, to focus in your mind what you want to accomplish, because like attracts like in the realm of mind. And so I became so obsessed, I think, with UFOs, I couldn't help but think that maybe, uh, yeah, like attracts like. And and, uh, even when I thought that I was, uh, you know, I'm I'm in the Navy now, Uh, I'm going to have to put this UFO thing on hold. Nah, it didn't work out that way at all. I I was still quite active, you know, and uh, it, uh, yeah. I don't think it would have been near as exciting <laughs> if I hadn't gone into the Navy at the time.
0: Well, I do have to say, firstly, uh, thank you for your service. I have a high reverence for folks that join the military, because that's, the, the, I think, one of the bravest things you can do. I don't necessarily always agree with the reason that those resources are utilized, but uh, I do have a high reverence and a separation between the war and the individual. So thank you again, sir, for your service. I oh, honestly, no. bottom of my heart, appreciate it. No. Oh, thank you, know, you. And you say like attracts like. That's one of my favorite podcasts, actually. Uh, there's a guy named Pat Mahan here. He runs that one um he has been on the show we we're doing quite a bit we've got a bunch of big things coming up in the future his podcast is called like attracts like see this is oh. another <laughs> synchronicity here brother you know yes it's an, it is interesting geographically where you're at uh do, have you ever heard of an author named trey hudson
1: um yes the uh meadow project yes I, think is yes I haven't read it yet but it sounds quite intriguing and it sounds like Maybe the site is down close to Jacksonville, uh, Alabama, which my friend, Dr. Berthels, I mean, Dr. <laughs> Dr. Greg Little. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, has uh, included in one of his books on on uh, Alabama sites. And, and uh, my family and I went down to follow up on what he'd written. Uh, there's a lot of interesting ancient uh, native sites down there that uh, where they used rocks to make walls and uh, round uh prayer circles and such, or, uh, you know, we can only speculate with some, well, there's even a large stone effigy of a serpent. I think it's like 170 feet long or something. And and there's lots of sites. And so I've kind of wondered if maybe, I think that his, um, uh, the activity around his property is, is you know, they've compared it to the Skinwalker Ranch is kind of maybe down in that area. And, you know, I, it's interesting about you know Kiel felt a lot of the ancient sites were were where a lot of these uh paranormal and ufo things occurred and you know we've kind of been you know greg and i have both been interested in this greg i've known him since i really started alternate perceptions as a little newsletter back in in 85 and he's been uh contributing and, and helping me with that whole effort uh in fact uh, in 93 you know besides just writing articles he said i'll I'll become a co-editor and publisher for you and and we started out with uh, this magazine here and this this was like up to uh, 68 pages but when we saw that everybody was going to uh, the internet well you know that's that's where we we moved to as well uh, but at the time we had uh, distributors across the United States and up into Canada. And we really wanted to you know, recreate the uh, fate magazine formula, you know, uh, where we didn't just deal with the UFO, which was, which was our burning interest when we first met, but also uh, Greg has also written an encyclopedia on ancient native American Indian mounds and, and uh, earthworks. And, and he's very interested in that and very interested in keel. So we had all these common, things. And that's another thing. If I hadn't ended up in Tennessee, uh, he lived over in Memphis and, uh, and you know, we, we would have probably never met. You know? yeah. And uh, we've been, you know, awesome partners in a lot of different projects over the years.
0: He's so interesting. I've got one of his books back here right next to Trey Hudson's The Meadow, because I've had Trey on the show, which is why I asked you about it. And it's kind of, yeah, it's his... Uh, areas kind of in kind of in your area. It's not too far away. I've been sworn to secrecy. I can't tell you exactly where it's at. Uh, And I honor that, right? We don't want a bunch of Yahoo's going out there and screwing the place up. But uh, yeah, and uh, Greg is somebody I would I would love to have on man. He's fascinating. He's I've got a list of folks, of course, and he's on it. And and just the second I go to the next person, like 15 more pop up. And I'm like, Oh, God, I just got to talk to everybody. I just (laughs) love this. Uh, It's just one of the coolest things ever. So um, let's Let's talk about the jinn a little bit, because I think that that idea and that concept plays a lot into or can explain a lot of what's going on. So if you don't mind, just break down the jinn for us.
1: Well, yeah, the jinn was um, the Muslim that mentioned in the Quran. They were like considered, I think, the third order of creation. Uh, there was an Ann Druffle over in California who actually um, I interviewed her and she she, you know, kind of explored the idea of the jinn. She had actually met some Muslim people who claimed to have encountered the jinn, And, um, there were other ufologists, including Rosemary Giley, who helped edit my, my book and who was, uh, actually wrote the forward and, and knew Keel. And she, she wrote about the jinn and, uh, thought that they were actually connected with the UFO phenomena. And, and actually a lot of times ghost hunters, she felt who think they're dealing with, uh, you know, haunted houses and, and, uh, the spirits of the dead are actually dealing with a gen type phenomena. And even Gordon Crichton, uh, former editor of the flying saucer view in England, uh, uh, actually took the gen thing quite, quite seriously as well. And they were supposed to be a uh, beings who actually at one time lived, I understand here on, on the earth. And uh, for one reason or another, are now in another dimension, and they kind of are jealous and would like to work their way back uh, to where we are.
0: The grass is always uh, greener, man. They had a sweet meal here, and they screwed it up. Yeah,
1: and then of course Keel was you know heavily into the the elementals, and uh, and one there was actually a, I presented Rosemary with a a quote that he had said that uh, the gin was just another uh, another variation on of many, and uh, was essentially meaningless. And she disagreed with that, but she said she felt the jinn were real, but she said there are probably many different la- levels, many different dimensions with different beings. So, you know, uh, she could kind of agree with them on that. They had similar views, but when it came to the jinn, they kind of, and that's in my my keel book where I interviewed her and we we discussed the jinn the element there. But I, I had, you know, a great deal of respect for all these researchers and certainly, uh, uh, you know, uh, and Druffle, I have a quote from the interview I did with her where she actually commented on the gin and the elementals and uh, covered and unbelievably she didn't know who John Keel was when I brought his <laughs> name So, you know, she's working all the same. She started out as a NICAP investigator back in the 50s, and she wrote a book on abductions, and that was how I got in touch with her and uh lo and behold she didn't know who john keel was so wow. we get, we're trying to keep his name in the, in the field as best i can
0: <laughs> you're doing a great job because it <laughs> needs to be right
1: yeah i mean you know you don't have to agree with every everything that that, that keel i mean i you know i don't necessarily either i don't even sometimes know what exactly to think of all this but i do um uh, you know i do want to keep an open mind and uh uh, explore the full terrain, the full landscape of this thing.
0: I think that's what needs to happen. So you don't get pigeonholed into these people who plant their flag and then spend the rest of their days defending that or trying to mit- disprove the connection between anything else or say that the cryptozoologist people, it's like a weird gang thing. You know, it's like these people just have these little cliques that they want to stay in and, and like these echo chambers of reinforcing ideas that only enforce their ideas. It, it's, but that's what separates people like Keel and yourself from. The, that that's an outside perspective. I think it's the most honest perspective, really, because those, generally, if I'm generalizing here, the people who's, who just have very hard line, this is what the phenomena is, are very loud about it. And they're very, you know, We've got to prove it. To the, to the bitter end, man. But folks like, like I, I'm not going to consider us in the same perspective because you're beyond that. But I, I think that what the kind of research you do and the kind of research that I'm starting to do is, you know, you get to that point to where you understand that it's all connected. It's There's something bigger. And the second that you look at it, it changes form and, and jumps ahead of you. It jumps conceptually ahead of what we can comprehend. And it's been doing this since the beginning of time. Which is why it's interesting the whole gin phenomena because they're tricksters, you know. They're associated with the genies. Um, they're they're just kind of kind of crappy entities, to be honest with you, I, from my from my research. But what's interesting about this whole damn thing and mediumship and UFOs and the whole phenomena itself is that it could be, and I'm not ruling it out here just one entity screwing with everybody you know it's just a bunch of trickster gods screwing with everyone they appear as fairies, gnomes bigfoots poltergeist activity ghosts UFOs anything that they can do to be mysterious and separate themselves from the reality in which we're tethered to and it seems like now I I tend not to think that it's all one thing but it's a possibility that all we're dealing with here are just some assholes trying to get back to this plane
1: All right. It could also be, uh, the trickster might actually be a kind of teacher, you know, looking from, uh, some native American point of views that I've heard. Um, in fact, I had consulted with a uh, revered medicine man one time about some of my own experiences, like, uh, because I've been in sweat lodges and such and visited some ancient sites. And, and I, uh, I had a, uh, Indian blanket that I didn't know where it came from. And, uh, in the house here. And as I'm looking at it saying, you, you know, <laughs> where did you come from? I, I don't recognize you. You're not really from here. And it disappeared before my eyes, you know, <laughs> and it just slowly, like, you know, you know, it's, it's on uh, top of this dresser and I had seen it about a month before. And I thought, eh, my wife just threw that up there. It's, you know, and I turned the light out and went to bed and then the morning it wasn't there. So, I kept thinking, oh, I blew that, you know, (laughs) and, and then it, um, you know, one night I, I wake up and there it is on top of the dresser and, uh, dresser drawers and, and I, it's on the very top. It's, uh, folded I think a little differently, but, uh, it's definitely, you know, I sit up in bed, I turn on, I had turned on the light. Uh, some reason I, I woke up and, uh, there it is. And I, I stretch my arms out. I think, okay, go like this. I pinch myself. Okay. I am, I am wide awake, you know, <laughs> that hurt. <laughs> and, uh, so I said,
0: yeah.
1: And I, I want to go over to it, but it's, um, you know, as happened before I talked myself out of it, I, I actually was kind of kind of scared because this just, uh, shouldn't be you know it's it's definitely a native american type designs on it and so i just you know thought well this is i guess this is what happens to you when, you, when you're doing this doing this stuff too long uh but i uh, as i'm looking at it it uh it's like looking at something under through a telescope or under a microscope it starts to blur but it's the only thing in there and you know nothing else blurs just the blanket And eventually it blurs and it's just no longer there. And it was just a kind of an interesting experience. So um, anyway, I had told this, this medicine man about it and uh, you know, and, and he says, well, they they could be trying to test your intuitive abilities. Uh, They could be, it could be a a mischievous spirit that uh, is playing tricks on you, or it could be trying to, Test your intuitive abilities and try to teach you something, you know, and uh, but he says to to be smudging, you know, sage yourself after something happens and uh, go into a meditative contemplative state, see if so you get some kind of a message or something.
0: Yeah. And make sure you guys open windows and doors whenever you smudge, don't just smudge because then the spirit just runs around your house. Let it, it needs a place to escape, right? Not a lot of people know that. Um, a lot of people just getting into smudging now. And so they need that information. So, you mm-hmm. know, it, it may be, so the blanket may be like step two on trickster God training, you know, maybe there's just some university of trickster gods out there. Cause I think step one would be the right sock, you know, or one of the pair of socks, right? Cause you always lose those. And then step two is a damn blanket. Uh, and then who knows, you know, you just graduate from there.
1: Yeah. And at the time it was, um, several years before I even told anybody that happened, you know, but now I'm just, I figured, heck, I, I, I ask all these other people to tell me their stories.
0: So it's very interesting. And I like the idea that it is honing your intuition. Um, almost like a spiritual Austin Powers. Remember when he punches that Lady, Because he's like, it's a man, baby. And it really was a dude. Uh, now, he wasn't so good on that when he was unfrozen. Spoiler alert, guys. But it, it's kind of like a way to test your intuition. It's a way to kind of um, calibrate your senses to your environment on what is real and what is not, which is very interesting, man. I like that concept a lot. Hmm. Um, so another quote that you had in your book uh, by uh, Tim Beckley, whenever he was referring to John Keel, he asked him, so, you seem, so you've triumphed at the end. And of course, Keel just replied, we have only opened Pandora's box. Instead of solving the mystery, we've created many new ones. I mean, man, it, and he's absolutely right. And this is the phenomena, right? The second that you think that you figured something small out about it, 15 things pop up that are new or a thousand things, and they take you in all these new directions. And it really does mess with you. It, it's a way to calibrate your intuition. Maybe that's all that is as well. The whole damn thing. It's it's interesting, man. I Like I said, I love your work. I'm going to be definitely um, uh, linking your book in the show notes here. So uh, we'll probably wrap it up here pretty soon, but I wanted to ask you in your book as well, uh, you talked about what John Keel, the bizarre event that he had left out of Mothman prophecies that you discovered in 2015. Do you mind elaborating on that?
1: Yeah, there was a... a a gentleman that he had known. Uh, in fact, in, in the Mothman prophecies, he describes how the guy showed up as his apartment the night that the silver bridge collapsed and, and, uh, that silver bridge collapsing kind of figured into, uh, various peoples and in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, their premonitions that something was going to happen. It seemed to be related to the river. Uh, Mary hire, the newspaper lady who, uh, he met there in Point Pleasant, uh, described, uh, how there were Christmas packages in in the uh, Ohio River and people were, you know, crying, screaming, and such. And then on December fifteenth of nineteen sixty seven, it happened. You know, the bridge collapsed and there were Christmas packages and uh, floating on the Ohio River. Um, and you know, he um, he said that was a very significant event. Um, but the thing was that and what he didn't put in his book for, you know, uh, he, he I'm not sure why he talked about it with different people. And uh, this guy that I first time I had heard the story, I was he was one of the people I was interviewing about Kiel for the book. And he shared with me uh, a story that Keel had told, which he sent me the the actual letter, a copy of the letter that Kiel wrote when he discovered this, this out, the guy, the guy had, um, been a friend of his since, you know, he was best man at his wedding, I think in 1950. And so he'd known him a number of years, but he hadn't seen him in a while. And suddenly he shows up at his apartment and he's sitting there and, uh, got the TV on. And suddenly the news comes out about the bridge collapse on the Ohio. And, and, you know, it's startling to keel, and he's upset, and, uh, you know, like he, um, this is confirmation that, you know, these people having these experiences, these dreams, uh, it was building up to this, and, you know, he was upset that the intelligence didn't reveal um, uh, the exact details, so that maybe somebody could have done something to prevent it, you know, and so he saw that as, as, as as very negative um, but um, anyway this this friend was um, there and they conversed you know they got you know it had been I think several years before they had been in touch and they even stepped out to go have lunch and afterwards and uh, maybe that's actually before and then they went uh to a jim mosley talk somewhere uh in in manhattan there and i i tried to get with people i mean this was back in you know uh 1967 and uh you know a lot of those people are gone i thought you know every time somebody gets together and does a talk there's pictures you know well because years, a few years later, I think over two years later, Keel writes in this letter to this guy who was in the apartment that night and said, "Yeah, there was, he was a big, tall guy, had a powerful handshake." Um, that uh, uh, he saw the guy's wife at Macy's and said, "Oh, I, I met your husband, you know, uh, a while back. How's he doing?" And uh, anybody got talking, and he said, "She says he, you know, he passed away. He he died. Uh, he says when? He says in July 1965, heart attack. He says that can't be. Uh, I saw him in December 1967, and uh, said she got rather indignant. You know, he says she says Are you sure about the date, the year? And you know, she says, John, don't you think I was there? Don't you think I'd know?" He said she got rather upset with him, you know, and uh, so that was quite a quite an anomaly. And uh, I talked with a couple of other researchers who had spent quite a bit of time with with Keel at uh, the 2003, I think it was uh, Mothman Festival in West Virginia, Point Pleasant, West Virginia, which has become a annual event. And um, these two gentlemen, uh, Tim and and uh, John Frick from Maryland. Uh they spent uh a number of hours with him, and he mentioned this story and said that um you know described the same thing that I had heard from this other guy um and they said uh, he didn't mention the name, but he said is um, um uh, let's see." what do you think about that, John? Um, and he, his response was that it hurts my head too much to think about it very much at all, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was just something that had been keeping him awake a number of nights. And and that was Kiel's uh, response. To it. Now, for a lot of people, you know, there was this very negative thing, but then a, a person comes back from the dead and is so physical and has this guy's memories and is just as physical as you or I. Uh, that really blew his mind. And, you know, for a lot of people, I would have just been a very uh, deeply spiritual and a positive paranormal event. But for Keel, it was... Uh, You know, he had difficulty with it because he was thinking ultraterrestrials, they can imitate our voices, they can imitate our appearances, this, you know, and he'd been, you know, he'd often described himself as a lifelong atheist, although he would tell friends that, well, just to be on the safe side, I'll call myself an agnostic, really, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I asked him once I asked him once when we were talking on the phone I says you know what do you think about the Marian apparitions uh what about angels and such and he says uh, well those those always turn sour in the end so he didn't you know he didn't he didn't really give him a real positive spin so that's you know I still want to find the positive in this you know yes. and and I think that maybe sometimes you get The positive positive and the negative and and you've got to really uh try to uh, find which one is really the one the thread that you really want to pull on and uh which one helps you the most in your your journey through this life
0: and this is what the phenomena sounds like, right? It's just like our real reality, and this is what kind of anchors it to this reality in some ways, or allows it to interact with this reality. Is that it's dualistic in nature? You've got the, you know, you've got the positive benefits and the negative benefits, just like you said, the things that serve you, the things that don't serve you. People have positive and negative abduction experiences. It's this dichotomy. It's a, it's again, it's anchored in this reality. So of course it would be dualistic in nature. Um, it, but it's still fantastical. It's still fascinating. So I would be remiss before we wrapped if i didn't ask what your opinion on the phenomena is what do you think we're dealing with what do you think's going on here
1: Mm. well i um i kind of think in some ways it's, it's it's a very as i've already said very complex it's a real uh difficult one to wrap your mind around when you get into the total picture the big picture as it seems to be and and i would you know i think that uh Brad Steiger called it the other because he didn't know just what to call this. And I've kind of got the feeling here of late uh, that we're going to learn kind of more about ourselves than the other. Mm. You know, eventually we may get to the other, but I think along the way, we're going to find out more about ourselves, about human psychology and potential. And uh, I think we have to use a a great deal of discernment in this field because not everything is what it appears to be on the surface. Um,
0: Perfect. You nailed I'll it. Stop. I'll no, stop right I, there. Honestly, I had to cut you <laughs> off. That's it. Just stop. That was perfect. Uh, Brent Reigns, I can't thank you enough, man. Um, I'll be linking all the ways, of course, to find you and your book in the show notes here. You guys know how to do this. Go down in the description, and there it is. Uh, my friend, I cannot thank you enough, man. Your Soul Tribe will have you back on. I think um, Bob earlier and I were talking about getting you and him and I together to do like a panel type of a conversation.
1: Okay, great. That'd be That'd fun, be.
0: right? okay Mm -hmm. well yeah
1: we've we've done something similar before so cool let's
0: do it the expanding reality way and i'll have a bunch of cool sound effects and stuff that i'll just pop pepper in with um no consequence whatsoever um well like i said my friend i can't thank you enough for your time thanks so much man i just enjoy the rest of you yeah we'll stay in touch (laughs)
1: awesome you too my friend take care
0: I absolutely love talking to people like Brent. This is the reason that we do this. You just figure it all out. Let's just talk about everything and how it's all connected. This is the approach that the phenomena needs. You know, we we do enjoy the people that plant their flag and they're, they're fun, they have some great ideas and they do some wonderfully specific research. This, though, is where the next step in the phenomena is, in the interconnectivity of all of it. It's very important, and I'm grateful that Brent is out there doing the kind of work that he is doing. So, of course, all the ways to find him, guys, are linked down in the show notes. Go ahead and go down there. Get his book. It is great. It is a wonderful read. I know I'm recommending books for you guys all the time add this to your list because it's fantastic so uh the music that you are hearing is by good buddy vinny vinny the saint you guys check it out his link tree is linked down below he does some incredible music y'all show him some love he's a good friend of mine as far as this show goes, guys, you can find us at expandingrealitypodcast.com. That is where the links to all of the socials will be. Uh, the YouTube video of this conversation will be up on YouTube as well. Uh, as well there at the .com, you can find our Patreon. If you find that the show is valuable and you're like, man, this dude just needs money. I'm like, well, I don't need it, but I'll, I'll take it. You know, I'm grateful for everything. I am i live an abundant lifestyle and I'm grateful for it. So, Thank you. Uh, this week, go out into your day while you were looking for the inner connectivity of all of this phenomena with your own two eyes. Go out into your day while you're at it and pick up a piece of litter. Uh, smile at everybody that you meet. Buy a stranger a meal in line behind you. Become friends in that way. Just have a cup of coffee. If you see somebody sitting there by themselves uh, having a meal or a cup of coffee, be nice. They might just want some alone time. See if you could join them and make some new friends. You will not believe how many people I've connected with simply doing that alone. It's fantastic. Just have fun with your reality. It's really, really cool out here. So uh, as well, uh, tack on petting a strange dog. You guys, be great to all animals that you come in contact with they're wonderful and we do not deserve them Uh, get out of the left-hand lane while you're doing that and finally of course the message of the entire show guys explore the world around you we live in in an amazing place as long as you have eyes to see it go out into into this amazing place and just be good to one another thank y'all so much for listening we'll see you next time